If you have your Bibles, the best place to start would be just, uh, I guess, John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a bunch of verses. Uh, They're printed in your bulletin on page 6. On page 7, there's a place to take notes. So we're going to be looking. I'm just going to read the passages from John, uh, and then we'll look at the other ones as we come to them in the sermon. And so give ear now. This is God's Word. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. In John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is God's Word. So we're in a series now called A Life of Worship, and we're looking at the God that we worship. We talked last week about why it's important to start with who God is, and we use these two quotes. We're going to look at them again today. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. These are significant motivations to understand who God really is. And today, we're going to see that God is love. Okay, God is love. This is one of the simplest expressions of Christianity. Okay, it comes right out of the Bible. If you look there on 1 John 4, at the end of verse 8, it says, God is love. Right out of the Bible. We teach our kids the song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? It is a simple expression of Christianity. And while it's simple on the one hand, it also plunges deep into the very being of God. Okay, to understand the love uh, that God is love pushes us deeper than anything else into the very person of who God is. Okay, it also pushes us deep into who we are as human beings and so deep that it can literally change how we view the universe, how we view our society, and how we view our city. Bill McCurin gave a quote a few months ago that I think applies to God's love. He said this, It's shallow enough that any child can wade in it without fear of drowning, and yet so deep that no one can ever reach its depths. And so I'm serious. I'm not just using hyperbole or exaggerated language when I say that God, the idea that God is love, if you can understand the notion of what it means that God is love, it has the power to change the way you think about reality. It changes everything. If you can understand it, experience it, 
and then practice it. And so we're going to look at this reality that God is love in three points today. We're going to see first what love means for God, second what love means for us, and then third what love means for worship. Okay, so first, what love means for God. Who God is actually proves that God is love, okay? Christianity professes by itself, alone among all of the world's faiths, that God is triune. Okay, Christianity is the only religion that believes in the Trinity. Okay, the Bible teaches that the one God who exists exists eternally in three persons. Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, what this means is that this means that God is relational by nature. Okay, the very essence of God is relational. And Scripture doesn't fully explain, right? The Trinity is a mystery to us in so many ways, but Scripture speaks about the relationship that exists between the three persons who are called God. Okay? We can't fully explain it, but what we see when we look at the verses is that there's an amazing love that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In John 16, 13, and 14, it says that when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll glorify Jesus. Okay, the Spirit glorifies Jesus. He shares and makes known the message of Jesus. In John 17, 4, Jesus glorifies the Father. Okay, in John 17, 5, Jesus asks the Father then to glorify Him and speaks about returning him to the glory that he had before the world existed. Okay, to glorify something or someone, I mean, what does that mean? It means to praise, to enjoy, and to delight in them. Okay, it's also to serve or defer to him or her. And so to glorify someone is one way to say, is one way to describe love. And what we see here, what we see in these verses is that the life of the Trinity, the life between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is one of mutual, self-giving love. Okay? They care for each other. They show each other off. Right? They sacrifice for each other. The Son glorifies the Father. The Father calls the Son. The Son delights in the Father's will. The Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. The Spirit honors the Son. And John 17, 5 speaks about this relationship that Jesus had with the Father before the world even began. And so God doesn't simply command us to love. God, in His own very essence, is love. Okay, God has been loving, mutually self-giving forever. He has been acting in this way forever and ever and ever. And the Trinity alone helps us understand, the doctrine of the Trinity really helps us understand the essence of why God is love. Okay, now... The Trinity also proves that not just that love is, that God is love, but that love is at the center of the universe. Okay? 
because love has existed for as long as God has existed. Okay, and this is significant mostly because of what it means of what means uh, of what it means that is not at the center of the universe. Okay, a triune God that has been eternally loving um, presents love at the center of the universe, and this is significant when we understand what isn't at the center of the universe. What do I mean by this? Okay, well, if there is no God, okay, let's say let's talk about the worldview that says there is no God, then everything that exists is the product of blind and impersonal forces. Okay? If there is no intelligent designer, if there is no God at work, then everything that exists is the product of blind, impersonal forces. Now, in this view of the world, love might exist. You know, there are atheists who are genuinely loving people. But in this view of the world, human love is simply the way that the species survives to multiply and maintain control. Okay, it's our best effort to stay populating the universe or the planet. Now, if there is a God, your view of God determines your view of the universe. Okay, how you view God has a radical impact. You may not know this. You might not have thought about this. But when you begin to connect the dots, your view of God radically shapes your view of the universe. Okay, what do I mean? Well, if God is not triune, let's say there's only one person in the Godhead, right? There's only one person in God. Then that means that there was no love until creation. Okay, because love is something that one person has for another. That didn't exist. If there's only one God and there's only one person in the Godhead, if God is not triune, then love does, did not exist until creation. And so what that means is that God was power, sovereignty, and greatness from all eternity, but not love. Okay? Love is something that God began to express after creation. And in this view, power is the primary aspect, or the primary essence of who God is and not love. Another example if God is the impersonal soul of Eastern thought, okay, then he couldn't be loving because love is something that persons do. Okay, Eastern religions believe that the goal of our existence is actually to erase our personality and enter into the, the universal consciousness so that we become one with everything else. Okay, now, one person has critiqued that and G.K. Chesterton wrote this. He said, for the Buddhist, personality is actually the fall of man. And so these other views of God actually shape what we think is at the center of the universe. Now, when I say that love is the center of the universe because love, because God is love, I'm talking about love in its totality, okay? Not just soft, sentimental love. I don't know what you think of when, when you hear the word love. Okay, but we're talking about all kinds of love. Okay, let me just kind of broaden out the picture because I know when some of you hear the word love, your mind tunes out. Guys, you might think, oh man, sentimental crap. I'm not into that kind of stuff. You know, that's, you just tune out. Um, And so love is both romantic and love is steadfastly committed no matter how you feel. Okay, those are two aspects of love. 
Love is soft and love is tough. Okay, those are both expressions of love. Love listens and love confronts. So when we talk about God is love, I want you to see that this, when we say God is love, we're talking about this whole picture of love. Okay, we're not just talking about, I mean, I don't want to disparage romantic love. That's great too, but I just want to give you this full picture. When we say God is love, we're not painting him out as a mamsy-pamsy, weak uh, um, person. And so love understands and love also calls people to change. Both aspects of love. Love gives. Love also calls people for, to be responsible. Okay? There is love between women that is radically different from love between men. Right? Both are expressions of love. And I want you to see that love is all of this. Okay? So that when we talk about God is love, there are aspects of real love in the big picture that you readily relate to. And you need to realize that because that is at the heart of the universe. Because when you live by this love, when you walk in any of these expressions of love, when you are walking in love, that is when your life is truly satisfying. Okay? That's when your life is truly satisfying. And this is what Jesus means in John 17, 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What Jesus is saying there is that if you want to experience eternal life, you need to know the God who is love. When you walk in love, you experience eternal life. Okay, that is radical. Because you know what that means? You don't have to wait for eternity to start loving. Right? When you love in this life, when you show this kind of love to someone else, you are actually getting to get a, you get a foretaste of what life will be like forever. That's good news. That's good news. When you live by this love, it fills you with happiness, even in your grief. Okay, even in your grief. We were at the beach on Monday, and we got a chance to, well, when the kids go to the beach and there's other kids there, they just sort of like meld, right? My, and, and it's great. And so the kids are playing with, these, with this actually one other boy who was there, and they're having a great time, and his dad's there. And so, you know, usually the parents sort of start eyeing each other and like, are we going to try to be friends? Are you just going to be off on your own? Are we going to keep, you know, this is kind of the, the dance that, that parents do, at least that we do when we're at the beach and the kids start playing. And so, you know, for me, I just immediately start praying. Like, Lord, my hope is that we might be able to build a relationship through this child with the dad and who knows, you know, open up a door for the gospel so that in some way, you know, we might see something happen. And the dad was sitting over um, he was just sitting in the chair he was reading. And, uh, and so pretty soon, the dad gets up and walks over, and we start talking. You know, just, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? Um, you know, here or there. Oh, what, you know, and I just start asking him questions. Oh, what brings you out to San Diego? Uh, you know, and I, I was in a divorce. You know, and so I came out here to be with my kid because my wife moved out here, and I really wanted to make sure that I stayed and, and was a dad to my, to my son. And, uh, and I just I praised him for that. I told him what a great thing that was, and... I told him the city's better because of him, you know. Um, just ways to help him realize that what he was doing was significant. Just appreciate him. Again, hoping that God would open up a door. 
And, um, and it was cool because he, said, you know, he asked me what I do, and I said, I'm a pastor, and that usually then makes it real easy. Um, but I just asked him a question that anybody can ask. Oh, so do you go to church? You know, and he said, no, you know, God and I really are on the outs right now. I'm not, in a, I'm not, I'm not walking with him. And, uh, and I said, oh, you know, tell me more about that. Like, what do you mean? And, um, and he began to talk about some of the things that have gone on in his life that really caused him to question, could there be a God if this happened? Um, and, uh, and as we talked, uh, I just I tried to listen and just understand. And, and I told him, look, anything I tell you here on the beach is probably going to sound like a pat answer. And so, you know, maybe what we can do, there are some things that, if, if you'd like to help process through some of this stuff, my experience has shown that, and I know people who have been through similar things that you've been through, and God has meant more to them than anything else in the world, and God has helped them process and heal. And usually what happens is that people don't understand where God is when these things were going on and how God feels about what was going on. And once they can understand some of those things, it helps them to re-engage with God and to, to start the process of coming back. And, uh, and he, he was open. And so we talked about a book um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that I would, you know, that I could send him and then he'd read it and we'd get together. And so, um, and so then we just spent the rest of the day having a great time together. And it's interesting because the reason I brought that up here is because when you walk in love, the happiness that you feel comes even in the midst of grief. When you understand this love, that God is love. And when you walk in this love, as you serve others, it can take the focus off your pain. As you have real loving relationships with other people, you feel understood. You know, and so this love works. I mean, it it really changes who we are. Um, And it fills you with happiness even if you are in grief. Even if you're in grief. Now, the other reason why you need to walk in this love is because it's the only thing that can actually bring satisfaction, okay? If power is at the center of the universe, we're all doomed because power can't satisfy, okay? Power is too easily corrupted, and it's too easy to use power to oppress and enslave others. It's too easy not to act in someone else's best interest. Power actually needs to serve love, Okay? Sex and pleasure, exactly the same way. They cannot bring fulfillment because it's too easy to harm relationships by using someone else for your own pleasure. Okay? And then when you pursue pleasure outside of a covenanted relationship, outside of a love relationship, it tears people inside when the relationship fails. Okay? I mean, this is the damage of promiscuity. You know, when the relationship fails, tearing happens. And both people are left damaged. And so even sex and pleasure, they have to serve love. And money can't satisfy either because, again, with money, it's too easy to let money and your stuff control you. And so, again, money also needs to serve love. Okay, love is the ultimate. It's the center of the universe. And if you walk by it, you can be happy. You can have real fulfillment. You can't have a real joy. And these other things then, if they serve those things, they actually can become positive contributions to your life. Okay, so this is what love means for God. The Trinity proves that 
that, uh, that God is love. The Trinity proves that love is at the center of the universe. Our second point is what love means for us. Okay, what love means for us. This has huge implications, as I'm sure you're already beginning to anticipate. Huge. Everything changes when you understand that God is love and that the universe best operates in love. Um, the good news for us is that this God of love orients himself to love us. Okay? The very person of God, the way he's revealed himself, teaches us just how much he loves us. Okay, if you think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's revealed himself this way because that's exactly what we as people need. Okay? Ever wonder why? God, why the Trinity? What, what is, I mean, he is triune, but then why does he reveal himself this way? It's because it's what we need. The Father is God over us. Okay, over us, relating to us as a perfect father. I know so many of you have broken fathers, have I mean, you all have broken fathers. Some of you have significantly damaged relationships with your father. Well, God is a perfect father. He is a loving authority. And so he gives us real care and real truth. The son is God with us. Okay, father is God over us. The son is God with us. He is with us in front of us. Right? He goes before us. He lives perfectly for us. Not just as an example for us to follow, but as a substitute, as a savior, he lives the perfect life that God called all of us to live so that God can take his perfect life and gift it to us. And God treats us as though we are perfect when we trust in the Son, when we trust in Jesus. So he does that, but then he's also a substitute who dies to take away our sins. You know, so we needed God as Father. We need the authority over us, but we also needed a brother. We need somebody who'd be willing to come, who could do what we failed to do, and then take away our punishment. Amen. I mean, we need that. That's the good news. Amen. And then the Spirit, right? The Spirit is God in us, right? God over us, God with us, and then God in us. God knows that truth outside of ourselves, even work outside of ourselves, won't change who we are on the inside. And God does more than just cover us over and call us and treat us as though we're perfect. He puts himself in us. He himself comes and lives within us and changes us from the inside out. He causes us to grow the Holy Spirit. We need God's presence in us to make us strong, to fill us with power, and then to help us grow from the inside out. And so God is oriented to love us. His very triune nature speaks to how much he loves us. And then a little bit more on this, that he fills us with God's love. We talked yet last week about how God's holiness radiates. And when we understand and have a relationship with God, his holiness begins to make us holy. The same thing happens with God's love. Romans 5.5 5 says that, the, that God has poured his love out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he has filled us up. You think about Psalm 23, my cup runs over. Runs over with what? Romans 5 tells us it runs over with the love of God. It fills us up to overflowing, and so we spill out on other people. It's interesting, and this, uh, this comes from Tim Keller in his book on Reason for God. He's got a whole chapter on who God is that is just remarkable. 
and I'm stealing a lot of stuff from him uh, from that chapter in this sermon. But Tim says that being self-centered is being static, motionless. Okay, if you're self-centered, you are motionless and demand that others revolve around you. Okay? You want the world to revolve around you. You want other people to revolve around you, your needs, and you will serve others, you'll care for others because you know that doing that keeps making them revolve around you. Okay, but ultimately, you're self-serving. That's what it means to be self-centered. But love is different. Okay, when we delight in someone else, when we serve someone else, we actually orbit around them. Okay, we orbit around their interests and their desires. And when two people do this, I mean, think about this, right? Not just one person orbiting around the other that's you know, standing there, but think about when both people begin to orbit around each other. What does that look like? It's a dance. It's a dance. And this is an amazing picture of the life of God himself. Right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've got these three people that are spending their lives and their existence revolving around the needs of the other. They're in this amazing dance when we love someone else, when we're in a relationship of love, whether it's a friendship, even a business partnership, right? Because business calls us to love as well. Like we don't check our love at the door when we go into business. But a business partnership, a friendship, or a marriage, you know, this creates a dance where we are revolving around each other. And when we do that, we picture God. This is what 1 John 4.12 says. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has seen God, but when we act in this way, when we have genuine loving relationships, we put God on display. Right? Jesus said this exact same thing. I don't know if it's John 13 or John 15 where he says, All will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, and then John 17, let them be one. Let them love each other so that the world will know that you sent me. Right? We put God on display. We show God when we dance with others in this kind of love. What's neat is that early Greek Christians, they had a name for this in God. Okay? In this, this dance of God. This, this mutual love that exists within the Godhead. And they called it perichoresis. Okay, perichoresis, and it's where we get the word choreography. So even the early Greeks, you know, had this sense that it was this dance, the Father, the Son, they're revolving around each other, centering themselves on the needs and aspirations of the others so that they might be served, honored, bragged about. And here's the payoff. We were made to join that dance. Okay, you were made to participate in that dance. And this is what it means to be in relationship with God. You orient your life around Him. That's what you do. You let your life revolve around Him. Not around your needs, but around what He wants, what His desires are.
and wonder of wonders, he does the same thing back to you. He does the same thing back to you. So as we love God, as we enter into a relationship with God, and I just say, if you're not in relationship with him now, would you commit to this? Would you like to be a part of this dance with God? Would you like to stop revolving your life around yourself or trying to get everything else to serve you and just let go and walk with God, dance with God? All it takes is to confess your sins. Just tell God, look, God, I'm a sinner and I've lived too long apart from you. I want to come back. Would you forgive me for living apart from you and help me to orient my life around you? If that is your heart, that is how you become a Christian. Well, once we're loved by God and we enter the dance, that's sort of how we learn to dance with others. You know, then we love other people. And so for us, it means real relationships. Once we've been loved by God, we then look around us and say, how do we love the people around us? And so for us, it means, again, loving Christ. Think back to the discipleship plan. Loving Christ. It means loving the church, right? Loving your neighbors. It could be as simple as just asking people, how are you doing? And really meaning it. How is your relationship with God? Right? What a great question to ask. Is there anything I could be praying for you about? Anything you're struggling with that maybe we could talk about might help you, give you support? I mean, it's as simple as that. We think about discipleship, how to help each other grow. Just ask people, how are you doing? How are you doing in your relationship with God? Is there anything I can pray with you for or talk to you about? And that's it. Just ask people those questions. I mean, here at Harbor, we have seen people become Christians because of the community that exists, because of the relationships. They show up, something triggers, they come back. And after, you know, after being here and they hear the gospel and they see the community, they become followers of Jesus. And then countless others who have been Christians have gone deeper because of real relationships, because they have begun to, because they've had people revolve around them and they've begun to revolve around others. It's good stuff. It's really, really amazing. Now, God expresses this love most clearly. Okay, he doesn't want us just to wonder about his love, but he wants us to know it for sure. And so when God wants something to be certain, he makes a covenant. Okay, love, real love brings covenants. Okay, a covenant is an agreement, basically. It's a contract. Um, And when God expresses his love most clearly, he does it in the form of a covenant. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is rehearsing the, the Last Supper. He's quoting Jesus. And Jesus, when he had given thanks, verse 24, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus himself is making a covenant. God is committing himself in love. If you trust in him, God commits to you. And this leads us directly into our third point. 
okay, what love means for worship. What love means for worship. I mean, we think about Sunday and what we do. God is recommitting to you. He is covenanting with you. He is declaring his covenant love for you as his people each and every week. God goes out on a limb and he publicly declares how much he loves you every single week. I mean, that's what Sunday worship is. He commits to meeting your needs. He commits to caring for you. This is the whole point of Sunday worship. Okay, the reason that we're gathered here is because God is renewing his covenant with you. Okay, you think about a renewal of marriage vows. This is like what, it's like what we're doing. Okay, and we're going to talk through this in detail next week and in the weeks to come as we go through exactly what we do in our worship service on Sundays. But the whole point is that God is calling us to himself. He cleanses us and then he builds us up with his word and then he fills us with himself And then he sends us back out into the world. So this is what worship is. He calls us, cleanses us, constitutes us, communes with us, and then he commissions us. Okay, we're going to see this again in the coming weeks. And this is interesting. Simone Vail wrote this quote in a book talking about how he became a Christian. Listen to this. He says, I was suffering from splitting headaches and each sound hurt me like a blow. I discovered the poem called Love by George Herbert. And often at the culminating point of a violent headache, I made myself say it over and over, concentrating all my attention upon it and clinging with all my soul to the tenderness that it enshrines. I used to think I was merely reciting it as a beautiful poem, but without my knowing it, the recitation had the virtue of a prayer. And it was during one of these recitations that Christ himself came down and took possession of me. I had all kinds of arguments about the insolubility of the problem of God, but I had never thought that God as a person would make real contact with me, a human being. And so it was through the rote recitation that turned into a prayer that he connected with God. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we're doing on Sundays. As we meet with God in worship, there is an order to what we do. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, just being here offers you an opportunity as you participate in the worship, as you think about the prayers, as you pray, as you sing, as you hear this, this is how you may connect with God. This is how God is working to open your heart And God is answering, and God is calling you right now to be one of his people. He's calling you right now to confess your sins and start a relationship with him. And he is committing, and he's showing you every single week the way he's blessing you, how he is going to be um, coming to you and, and, and to live with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For the rest of you, this for those of you who are already Christians, Our Sunday worship is an opportunity for us to understand afresh, week in and week out, what our relationship with God is like. Our hope is that every week you experience different aspects of the love of God, that you come away feeling more of God's love for you. 
more of God's love for you. And so that's what it does for us in terms of Sunday worship. In terms of Monday through Saturday, what does God's love mean? Boy, there's so much, right? As I thought about this, like what does God's love do for me? It gives me strength. Knowing that God loves me, knowing that God is for me, it makes, it puts everything else into perspective. Right? I mean, love, if, if God is for you, nothing can be against you. Right? It assures me of the future and the present. Because <laughs> what can, what could happen? Right? Even the bad stuff God will use to bring about good for his glory. <laughs> it gives me confidence and it gives me love for others. Because I think, man, God has loved me this way and then he's put this love in me. I don't have any love in myself, but when God puts his love in me, I've got all kinds of love for people. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the love that God has put in my heart that is in there right now. And as I think about that, as I dwell on that love, I experience that love and I'm able to love others. I mean, our Monday through Saturday is an opportunity to express the love that we have received from God. And so I just, I would encourage you, Monday through Saturday, the, 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 the thing that turns the crank in your heart to get you to feel this love is to commune with God. Okay? It's to spend time with Him. Now, for some of you, that means reading the Scriptures. For some of you, it means praying. For some of you, it means singing. Like, what are the things in your life that cause God's love that cause you to feel God's love, that fill you with God's love. You want to do those things. Tap into those things. Because the more continually you do that, the more you're filled with God's love, the more you walk in his love, the more the universe is oriented in the way that it's supposed to. Okay, The more that you are in tune with the God who's at the center of the universe. This is a call for all of us to walk in this love. We can say a lot more about it. We're about to see the greatest expression of God's love at the Lord's table. But before we do that, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we, this brings us into your presence. And, and I confess, Lord, that we can't understand the dynamics of the Trinity, but we can see what you've revealed in Scripture. We can see you loving Jesus, the Son. We can see the Son, Jesus. We can see you loving the Father and Spirit. We can see you coming to bring glory to Jesus. And we want to we participate in that. We want our lives to revolve around you. And so help us. Please, help us to be enabled to live our lives in a way that would participate in your love and help us then to love each other this way. Help us to go deeper. Help us to go broader with our love. Draw us in. For those who haven't become Christians yet, Lord, would you please show them your love, get a hold of their hearts, and bring them in. 
And if there are Christians here who have areas of their life where they haven't let your love in, would you make it safe and show them that you can be trusted? Would you help Christians here who are struggling to let you into those areas of their lives so that they would be able to revolve that area of their life around you? Set us free from bondage. Set us free from addictions. Set us free from ways of life that draw us away from you. And fill us with yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.